This is the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pelton. The incoming administration of President-elect Joe Biden recently announced its pick as the next administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. It's Michael Regan, who for the last three years has served as secretary of the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality under Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. If confirmed, Regan would become only the second African-American to lead the EPA, following Lisa Jackson, who was administrator from 2009 to 2013. Regan has extensive experience, including at the EPA, working in air quality and energy programs during the Clinton and Bush administrations. But he will have an enormous challenge in front of him, rebuilding an EPA that President Trump has damaged and demoralized. The Trump administration has rolled back at least 85 pollution control regulations, and EPA has lost more than 1,200 employees over the last four years, with its staffing levels now at the lowest point since 1987. What should the next administrator do to fix EPA? And how well did Michael Regan perform running North Carolina's environmental agency? To answer those questions, I turn to three experts. First, Derb Carter, director of the North Carolina Office of the Southern Environmental Law Center. He has first-hand knowledge of Michael Regan's record on on-the-ground environmental issues. Next, we'll talk to Eric Schaefer, former director of civil enforcement at the Environmental Protection Agency. And finally, we'll conclude with Betsy Sutherland, former Director of Science and Technology at EPA's Office of Water. We're starting off with Derb Carter of the Southern Environmental Law Center. Welcome to the show, Derb. Thank you, Tom. Pleased to be with you. What is your analysis of how Regan did running North Carolina's environmental agency? Well, in, in many ways, we were coming off uh, a very difficult stretch with our former governor. Uh, who uh, was not supportive of environmental protection programs. Uh, we had a hostile legislature that had dramatically cut the department's budget by 40 percent. Uh, so when Governor Cooper was elected uh, and Michael Regan was appointed uh, secretary, uh, there was much to be done. Uh, and I think in a brief time, a lot of progress has been made. Uh, I think he's uh, been engaged on some tough issues uh, that uh, will serve him well when he uh, is a, confirmed as EPA administrator. Now, back in January, I believe North Carolina signed an agreement with Duke Energy to clean up coal ash pits across North Carolina. The state's had some terrible disasters with coal ash pits breaking open and leaking enormous amounts of pollution into rivers. What do you think of that agreement? Uh, that Regan worked with his agency to sign with Duke? Well, we've been involved in this for many years. Uh, as you noted, uh, we had a disaster at one of our coal ash disposal sites with toxic coal ash being uh, discharged through a rupture into the Dan River. Uh, we began investigating these sites almost 10 years ago and were finding pollution, groundwater and surface water pollution at all these sites. Uh, we uh, filed some federal enforcement actions to begin a process of cleaning up these sites. 
And during the previous administration, uh, the department, DEQ, actually filed paper actions against Duke to try to shield them from our enforcement. So when the new administration came in, things changed dramatically, and we actually worked very cooperatively with uh, Secretary Regan and Department of Environmental Quality to pursue enforcement actions, both state and federal, uh, against Duke Energy for their uh, violations of the Clean Water Act. Uh, and that ultimately resulted in a settlement agreement in which Duke agreed to excavate uh, and remove from these leaking uh, pits in the ground uh, 80 million tons of coal ash which is the largest coal ash cleanup by far in the nation's history. Uh, and we were able to work very cooperatively with Secretary Regan uh, and his authorities under state law uh, to achieve that outcome. How about in the area of animal feeding operations? I know that in North Carolina, there are a lot of hog concentrated animal feeding operations or CAFOs. In the past, they've leaked uh, manure into rivers, especially during hurricanes and floods. Uh, but it's also been a real environmental justice issue with people living around these gigantic factory farms. How's Regan done with that issue? Well, we do have a major CAFO problem in eastern North Carolina. We have a very high concentration of hog operations in particular, but we also have poultry operations in a very small part of the state. Uh, and these this area drains into our estuaries, uh, Pamlico Sound, Albemarle Sound, which are second in size only to Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and we've had recurring problems with nutrient runoff from these operations. These operations also affect neighbors uh, who live in the vicinity of these uh, large concentrations of hogs with uh, stench and odor. It's been just a tremendous problem in that part of the state for many years. I've read uh, 2,200 factory hog operations, 10 million hogs, 10 billion gallons of manure annually in North Carolina. That's a major issue. Oh, it's a tremendous issue. And and I mean, th that sounds like a lot, but it's concentrated in three or four counties uh, in a very uh, a sensitive part of the state in terms of affecting our coastal uh, area and coastal water quality. Uh, two things uh, have have happened during Secretary Regan's tenure. One is there was an effort to improve the permit to impose more controls that would particularly uh, address water quality impacts of these facilities uh, that where the waste is applied to the land and runs off into the streams and eventually the rivers and eventually the estuaries. So there's an improvement in the permit that's been challenged by the pork industry that is in court now uh, in which there would be you know, some improvement in how these are regulated for the first time in, in many years. Now, how uh, much better is it? And I ask that question because in a lot of states, the farm lobby is so powerful. Even when there's a Democrat in charge, the the power of the farm lobby over the administration and over the legislature means that the 
actions taken towards farmers to control runoff pollution is often very, very minor. Has he been able to deal with that farm lobby successfully? Well, it, it's tough here in North Carolina because you've got the legislature that is very supportive of the pork industry uh, and very anti-environmental regulation uh, that you know, you have to deal with as an agency because they're the source of your budget. Uh, and this has been, it's not the steps that we would like to see taken, but it's the first steps that have been taken in several years to begin to regulate this industry in a way that it should be regulated. And how about wastewater and industrial wastewater plants, sewage plants for municipalities, uh, and industrial wastewater facilities. When we looked at this issue about four or five years ago, we found a lot of wastewater plants that were in significant non-compliance with the Federal Clean Water Act in North Carolina, some of which had been in continuous violation for three years or more, including in Bellows Creek, Long Creek, the Rocky River sewage treatment plants. How has he done on those types of point sources and sewage plants? There have been some progress made, but this is oftentimes boils down to the funding being made available uh, by the local governments to improve those facilities. And we've been directly involved in some of that enforcement uh, that uh, is necessary in some cases to get these facilities to comply. Uh, the department has pursued some enforcement. I would say it's one area in which we would like to have seen more enforcement uh, by the department uh, to ensure that those uh, treatment facilities are in compliance. So perhaps a little bit weak on that enforcement area. We would have liked to have seen more enforcement, but uh, one thing I remind you of, his budget was cut 40% by the legislature. So you've got to have the staff to be able to go out and enforce. So I'm not defending the lack of enforcement, but you really need to have adequate staffing to enforce at a level that we think is appropriate. I now turn to a national expert on environmental enforcement, Eric Schaefer, former director of civil enforcement at EPA, and now executive director of the Environmental Integrity Project. Eric, EPA just celebrated its 50th anniversary. Summarize the damage that the Trump administration has done, not only to the enforcement functions at the agency, but to the whole institution. Well, I can't imagine if you were working at EPA in the 1990s and were you know, put to sleep uh, like Sleeping Beauty and then came back to life during EPA's 50th anniversary and saw that the agency was run by a coal lobbyist and that its principal mission was cutting holes in the environmental laws that EPA was supposed to enforce. Just imagine the shock of coming out of a time capsule the Polluter Protection Agency, yeah. Exactly. So uh, it's it's been a dramatic freefall under the Trump administration. Uh, the damage includes manipulation of science in just, you know, the worst ways, you know, either ignoring it altogether or squeezing the wrong meaning out of the data the agency has. It's been rolling back of regulations. About 84 have been yanked backwards. Some of those efforts have failed, right? I mean, actually, the for, Trump has for, been so d dead set on rolling back regulations. I think the courts have slammed the door on some of those. 
Yeah, um, it, it, Administrator Pruitt, who before he got run out of town, liked to talk about the rule of law, rule of law. And this is an administration that almost always loses when the rule of law is actually interpreted by courts. So a lot of what they've tried to do has been hung up uh, either because their rollbacks have been thrown out or they've been sent back to EPA with the direction to, you know, take out certain loopholes or at least do a better job. It reminds me of the courts throwing out so many of these so-called vote fraud cases. You know what? It's it's very, uh, it's similar to that. It, it, I feel for the attorneys at the Department of Justice who have to defend those terrible rules because uh, it's it's professionally embarrassing to have to it's know, abusing the legal system too. I mean, yeah, it's it's it no. is abuse of the legal system, and we've also had a you know just generally a weakening of the enforcement program, where you just they have had some very big settlements that involve reducing emissions from automobiles, but the number of cases they bring has been shrinking steadily. And in fairness, I have to say that's gone on well before this administration took office because because Congress had for a long time been cutting EPA's budget. I I, I do want to say, I think that uh, Susan Bodine, who ran the enforcement program, was not the worst uh, of the options for a Trump appointment. I think she was professional and, you know, within her um, ideological lane, you know, the ideological lane laid down by the Trump administration, she tried to do some enforcement, and I, I don't want to belittle that. But uh, but I think, you know, overall... It's fallen, it continued to fall downward, yeah. and, you know, hopefully a new direction will, will change that. Staffing. Uh, EPA now has about 1,400 employees. That's the lowest level in 33 years. What does that mean? Well, it, it means you've lost the scientific capacity to analyze issues, the, you know, the, the smarts that you need to write good regulations and the, you know, the brains and the muscles you need for a good enforcement program. Those have atrophied. Trump promised to reduce EPA to little tidbits in his campaign. You know, he, he only... Congress said, stopped him a little bit. I mean, didn't Congress actually increase the budget of EPA? Yes, Congress never accepted, you know, all of Trump's proposed budget. He wanted to cut it by thirty percent right off the right off the bat. No, and that didn't happen. It was it was bled slowly in the first year or two when the House turned Democratic in 2018. Uh, in the years that followed, 2019 and this year, you saw more resources come in for EPA. But but as you point out, even today, you've got you know this. 14,000 employees, the same that we had 33 years ago when EPA had much less on its plate. What we don't want is for the Biden administration to say, well, it's better than what Trump did. Right. You know, that's a very low bar. Very low. And we, we have a lot of ground to make up. If you were to set out a number one most important goal of the next EPA administrator, when they come into office, looking at the agency as it is now after four years of, of Trump leadership, what would you say would be that number one priority? Get a message out right away that you understand and 
enthusiastically support EPA's mission to protect the environment and public health. And you know that the career staff do the same and you're looking forward to working closely with them to actually do that. Get out a strong message that you intend to enforce the law without fear or favor, without any sort of political slant, and that you understand that's at the heart of EPA's mission. Okay. I am now joined by Betsy Sutherland, who served for 33 years at the Environmental Protection Agency, including as the director of the Office of Science and Technology for the Water Office. Thanks for joining me, Betsy. Thanks for inviting me. What has morale been like at the agency uh, as it went from trying to do its job to a Trump administration that really didn't believe in the kind of whole purpose of the EPA? What, what was that like? I would say the morale is the lowest it's been uh, really in the history of the agency. Um, even though there were great concerns under Ann Gorsuch uh, back in the day, uh, this even exceeded that level of uh, destruction for the agency and for science in general. So I would say it's at an absolute historic low point, the morale is in the agency. Mm. And uh, of course, now we're having a new administration coming in in January. If you were the next EPA administrator or kind of calling the shots, what would be the number one most important thing you do to kind of bring life and morale back to the EPA? Well, first, I would be uh, very transparent with the staff and tell them that for once <laughs> since the Trump administration, you are going to actually involve them in a collaborative working relationship. Again, that was another big difference with the Trump administration. EPA is a relatively small independent agency. They don't have all the layers of political appointees that a cabinet department has. And yet when Scott Pruitt and Andrew Wheeler ran the EPA during the Trump administration, they really spoke only to their political appointees and to industry lobbyists and did not speak to the career staff. So the first thing a new Biden uh, lead for EPA needs to meet with the staff and say, we're going to go back to the collaborative working relationship every previous administration had, where the scientists, the economists, and the lawyers are equal partners with the political appointees in running the agency. Thank you, Betsy. And thanks also to Eric Schaefer and Derb Carter. This has been the Environmental Integrity Podcast, and I'm Tom Pelton. For more information on the Environmental Integrity Project, visit www.environmentalintegrity.org.